how he adapted that message. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, no, I guess he didn't really adapt it. He more or less adopted it. Jesus picked up the very same message that John the Baptist did. And this was the message. Repent, change, turn. Uh, turn it around. Go the other direction. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at our doorstep. And then when Jesus called his disciples, and in chapter 10 of Matthew, he sent out the 12, and he sent them out on kind of their first trial mission, if you will. And he he sends, sends them out, and he says, and as you go, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. It's here. It's among us. And we say, we have to proclaim it. And when Peter was was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The very first sermon that was preached to the Christian church, Peter said this, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repent. Change. Turn. There's an alternative. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, this present age. Save yourselves. Get out of there. Come out. There's a better way. So here we are at the dynamic interface of the passing of one kingdom and the beginning the emergence of a new now in case you haven't noticed and i'm sure you have that can be a stressful place can't it sure it's a stressful place even within ourselves (laughs) to be people born into this new kingdom and yet we live in the old one in fact uh paul says that i have this war in in myself there is the new and the old that sometimes clash even within ourselves at this interface you see the two kingdoms if you will really are at complete odds with one another they're totally different that's why it's so stressful in fact look at consider the metaphors and we could go through a whole list of them but just three of them just tell you how 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 much conflict there can be in this overlap of the kingdoms light and darkness Life and death. Spirit and flesh. We could go on and on with those, with those metaphors. That they are, these are totally, totally opposite things. So much so that Paul would, would refer to those that are outside the kingdom of God. He calls them alienated and hostile. But the good news of the gospel is that this age of flesh, death, and darkness is passing away. It's crumbling. It's it's falling apart. And the kingdom of light and life and spirit is getting stronger and stronger and stronger, having already arrived in Christ. So what does that mean for us as the alternate city? 
Well, it means that we are in the proclaiming business. We're in the proclaiming business. That if we'll follow after Jesus in the church, uh, the early church, then we have to take up that very same message. What, what is our message? I would say that the message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The good news that Jesus Christ has come, that we will be vocal, vocally and visibly proclaimers of hope. And that hope begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. That nothing else really matters until your relationship with Jesus Christ is established and secure. It begins and ends with Jesus. Yes, you can. There is a transfer pass from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From death into life. And that transfer pass is Jesus. Now, there are two subtle traps. And I hope that you'll, you'll watch the video and, and have that discussion. I'm really, what I'm doing here is not really trying to say what he said, but just sort of filling some things here that, that uh, I would say too. I think there are two subtle traps in this interface as we seek to, to call people out of the darkness and into the light and that is one is is this temptation to get out of the proclaiming business and into the attracting business and there's a subtle difference between the two to proclaim the kingdom and not try to be necessarily attractive to those that aren't in it the thinking goes well you can attract more bees with honey right you know and i would say well i suppose but we're talking about the kingdom here. And I would say that that metaphor falls a little short. How can you make the kingdom more attractive than it already is? Any human efforts to make the good news more palatable, we, what we want to do is we kind of want to soften the edge a little bit. We want to, well, do I have to use that word repent? Don't we... I don't know if you're like me, but I, repent sounds like kind of an old word, doesn't it? Well, find another word. That's okay. You don't have to use the word repent. But we don't want to soften that edge. Repentance means that we need to get out of this present age. We are going the wrong direction if you don't know Jesus. And you've got to turn it around and get going in the right direction again. So we, we, we don't want to soften that message. We can't do that. We have to turn. We... we we, we have to maintain that, that sort of edge to the kingdom without being offensive. We certainly don't want to turn people off by being weird and obnoxious. What a beautiful sight, Isaiah 52, 7 says. I say that, what a beautiful sight. On the mountains, a messenger announces to Jerusalem, good news, you're saved. There will be peace your God is now king. That's about as attractive as it gets. That's about as attractive as it gets. Good news! You're saved. The second, so one of those subtle traps is to get out of the proclaiming business and to get into the attracting business. And I would say the other one would be sort of almost the, the, the opposite of that, and that is to sit quietly and hope the world notices us. You know, to, to sort of take a passive stance 
I say, well, you know, if we just, you know, if we just live our lives, you know, and, and there's, that, there's that thing that I would, I, oh, I hate to get out here on this limb, but you know, there's, there's this thing, that one of the old saints, you know, back there, one of those monks was said, I think maybe St. Francis or something is credited for saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Well, I would say that's a nice sentiment, and that, that, that's okay. It kind of communicates this idea that we need to let our light shine and, and live, you know, uh, that it, it's more than just talking about Jesus. We have to actually live it. But the fact of the matter is Jesus was Jesus. Okay? He lived it about as good as you can live it. But yet he found it necessary to say something. He used words. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. You know, if there was anybody attractive and perfect and awesome in in what he did and was, it was Jesus. But yet he found it necessary to use words. In other words, we've got to be intentional. We have got to be intentional. You know, there was a day, maybe 50 years ago, where this, this wonderful church on this busy city, busy city street, that that would have got somebody's attention. Hey, look at that. There's a church there. There's Calvary Church there. And that maybe if they were going through something in their life, maybe they're going through a divorce or they had some addiction going on in their life or they felt like their life was falling apart, they would have seen this church, connected that to something they needed in their life, and they might have just stopped in and said, maybe this church has something that can offer to me. Do you know that day is gone? That, that hundreds and thousands of people will drive past this corner and not even notice that it's here. And, and if they do notice that a church is here, they go, huh, a church. Because they likely already just drove past the temple up there, the Hindu temple. And as we drove in today, we drove on, on the interstate, we drove past the, the Muslim mosque, and we drove past the Hindu temple to get here to Calvary Church. We're in this pluralistic age. And so we got to realize that, you know what? Just being here isn't good enough. We've got to proclaim it. We've got to be intentional. We've got to tell people. As Keller reminds us, we're a city on a hill. We've got to let our light shine. And that is both visible and vocal. This fall... Ruth and I have had an incredible opportunity. We have been driving the state of Illinois again, uh, doing our missionary deputation and uh, reacquainting ourselves with the geography, if you can call it that, of Illinois. Do do you know that there's a lot of corn grown here? (laughs) We've driven probably to date over the last three months, probably at least 4,000 miles crisscrossing the state of Illinois, back and forth, north and south, and and, and so forth, and there was, has been corn everywhere. We began in September, and we saw it when it was green and just starting to turn brown, and now we're seeing all the, the crops are almost all in. They grow a lot of corn here. And as we've been driving around Illinois, this, this metaphor, and if I can change from the urban city metaphor to, the, to the, more the, the, uh, the agricultural metaphor that Jesus used, and that is... The harvest. The harvest. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, can you imagine a farmer gets out in his his four-wheel drive pickup and he begins to go out there and check out the crops and to see, is it ready for harvest yet? And imagine him driving out there, driving up and down those, those gravel country roads and looking at all, those, all that land and think, oh man, this happens every year. This problem occurs in my life. My land's so fertile that it grows all this corn. And every, every fall I have to go out here and harvest this stuff. What a problem. No, that's nonsense. He goes out there and he sees the harvest and he goes something more like this. God, shame. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. This is why I was waiting for the ground to thaw back in March or April so that I could get out here and plant so that this day would come. So that the harvest would come in. It's all about the harvest. The harvest is not a problem. It's an opportunity. And here we are, you and I, that God by his design has chosen to put us at this place at this time. It's all about the harvest. And I would tell you today, I really believe that we, the church of Jesus right now, are living at the edge of the most incredible opportunity that has ever occurred. This is not an opportunity of a lifetime. This is the opportunity of all time. Because Jesus has said that he wants, the Father, or the Father has said, send them out into the highways and byways and bring them in that my house will be filled. My house will be filled. That God is, is and will fill his house. And we get a part to play in that. The harvest. I think it was Pastor Jim and I were up at Starbucks here a few weeks ago and we were talking about this idea, this word called glocal that people are using now. Where we live in this glocal world. Which, you know, glocal, you get a guy from, put global and glocal to, and local together and you come up with glocal. Because that's really the kind of world we live in, isn't it? Because the, the global becomes local and the local can become global in this communication age and the way you know you can you can sit here and tweet stuff from my sermon you can say man this is the worst sermon i've ever heard and you can tweet it and someone in austria can read it (laughs) hopefully they're not (laughs) but that's the world we live in we live in this global world and i would say the harvest for us is global and we can say that that harvest is before us we have a part to play in the whole thing through missions, we can participate and we can make a difference in places like Armenia and the Muslim world. We can actually impact those places. We can make a difference in our neighborhood and in our own families. We truly have a global harvest. Of course, we know that the harvest is raw. When you get out there in the harvesting business, you realize that when you bring it in, it's not really 
refined yet, is it? <laughs> it's raw. It's, you still got to do stuff with it before it's any good. And Jesus saw, the, he saw that raw harvest out there. And what does it say? You know, a lot of times we as Christians, we can fall into that trap of, of looking at people that aren't acting like Christians because they aren't and get upset about that and to be offended by that. Well, you, you know what? It, I know it can be hard sometimes, but it, we really shouldn't be offended when sinners act like sinners. Well, people who don't know Jesus, when they act like people who don't know Jesus. And Jesus saw them. He saw the crowds. And he had compassion for them. He said he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He said, oh, look at them. I love them. And he reached out his arms toward them and, and, he, and he saw them as harassed and helpless. Another translation says distressed and dispirited. They needed the shepherd. You know, missionaries have always gone where the need is, not just where the promise of success is. Because it's not always pretty to go out there into the harvest field. And as a result, today, some of the most historically gospel-resistant places are beginning to produce fruit. Because folks have gone because the Spirit has sent them there. And they've done the hard work of planting. And now there's some reaping. Could it be, as we look at our community, as you look at your community here at Lamont and surrounding, that it might be the hard places. Those people that are like sheep without a shepherd that God is calling to you and speaking to you about in the video series. I know that they're encouraging you to have some intentional evangelism events in your home. I hope you're doing that. And as you do that, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, should I invite so-and-so? Oh, man, nah. They'd be the last one that would be interested in this. Well, you know what? They might be the first one that would be interested in, in the gospel we have to share. They just might be the most interested because the Spirit may already be at work. We have an opportunity before us. The opportunity of all time. Seizing an opportunity is rarely easy. Go back to our Harvest metaphor. Uh, field work is backbreaking, unglamorous, sun up to sundown, hard, hard work. Back in my growing up days in McHenry County, I used to help my uncle put up hay. Oh man, that is hard work. Those bales of hay were heavy, and it was dirty up there in that hay mound, and there was rats running around and. Oh, man, it just, oh, it just, ah, I didn't want to think about it anymore. That's, that's hard, hard work. But you know what? The harvest unharvested is just the opportunity for harvest. It's really not a harvest until it's in, until you do the work and get it in. Joy comes from meeting that opportunity, even if it's hard. Have you ever put off a really difficult job? Oh, I see you have. Why is that? Because it's difficult. That's why we put those off. We, we'd rather do the easy, fun things first before we get to the hard, difficult ones. And Yeah, it's not always easy. But he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. 
Joy comes from meeting that tough job and saying, let's get together and let's do this hard work. Let's bring this harvest in. Did you hear the urgency in the voice of Jesus? In that passage we read, he said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. We often describe opportunities as windows. Why do we do that? Because windows open and they close. And that's what happens with opportunities. They are here and then often are not anymore. Unharvested crops spoil in the fields. You know, the farmer has this window of opportunity. And so, as we want to, if we're trying to apply that analogy, we've, if we've got this opportunity, then we've got to seize it, don't we? We don't want to hesitate. We don't want to sit back and be, and be passive about this thing. We need to recognize our opportunity and seize that opportunity. And hesitation might be, in this day, our greatest threat. How is that? Well, we all know that economic uncertainty can cause us to be wary of releasing funds. Because if I put that dollar in the plate for missions, then I'm, these are difficult times. I, I don't know that my job is all that secure, and I, I don't know what's going to happen to the value of my home or my retirement account and all, all these things that, that, that are important to us. And so we hesitate. We go, well, should, should I be making that investment? We can hesitate. Our lives can be so full of activity that we shy away from making more time commitments. If we need to invest more time in this, in this idea of being a witness to our community, I'm not sure I've got that time. I'm, I'm really so busy. There might be in the room today a perfectionist or two. Perfectionists are the classic pro- procrastinators. You know, tomorrow I'll be better prepared. Later would be better for me. I'm not quite ready today. I don't have my ducks in a row. I'm not all prepared. Just come back to me at a later time and then I'll be ready to be involved then. But Jesus again tells us, look at it, what he says in John. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We have an opportunity to seize. See, the harvest doesn't always come by our time schedule. And our convenience. The harvest comes when the harvest comes. And, and I, it probably would be a lot easier if the harvest would come in on monthly installments. That would be a lot easier for the farmer, wouldn't it? But you know, it doesn't work that way. He planted in the spring, and it all comes due in the fall. And it's all got to get done in the fall. You know, I really believe that the same thing is going to happen with the harvest of souls. That in these last days, that the harvest is going to come in. And it's going to come in all at once. And we're going to be going, I'm not sure if we're ready. What are we going to do? We're not prepared. We don't have money. Our building's not big enough. How are we going to handle this harvest? I believe it's going to happen that way. That the time for harvest is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That time is now. In a time of urgent opportunity, the status quo is not an option. So we've got to be thinking in terms of, where do I need to change? Where do I need to adjust? 
What can I do today to seize the opportunity that is before us? And that's where that little white card comes in handy. You've got the, a little white card that, that is uh, laying there on your chair when you came in today. And we're going to use that. And this is sort of a little... I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm going to put my educator hat on. So get that card and something to write with. And we're going we're gonna to take a little... Well, I was going to say take a little quiz. We're going to do an evaluation if that feels better. Can we seize the opportunity... Yes, we can. Is there something that we can do today? Is there something we can do today? Yes, there is. Now, uh, you probably heard this from missionaries before. You support 40-something missionaries, that's awesome. So you've you've heard, heard us preach a lot. And we will say over and over and over again, there are three ways that you can become involved in missions. One is to give, another is to pray, and another one is to go yourself. Go, give, pray. Or give, pray, go. But in one of those areas, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. Is there in one of those areas that the Spirit just might be prompting you today that you can do something more than you're doing right now? It might be a big something more. It might be just a little tiny something more. But is there something in one of those areas? And so this is what we're going to, let me put my teacher hat on because, you know, a good teacher will always find the baseline. So we need to know what our, where we're at currently. So we need to know where to grow. So, so here we go. We're going to do three little questions for you. And that's what this card is for. On one side of those, we're going to do a little evaluation. Before we make a commitment, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to the Lord here in a minute. Before you make a commitment, though, in one of those three areas, Let's start with praying. When you pray for missions, specifically for missions, do you pray frequently, sometimes, or never? Now, this is not going to be handed in. The pastor's not going to see this unless he's peeking over your shoulder. Your husband's not going to see this. This is just something for you to make an honest evaluation of where you are in your relationship to, to witness and harvest, and we're going to let you put this in your Bible or your prayer journal. This is just for you. Okay. In praying, do you pray frequently, sometimes, or never? And when you do pray, do you pray earnestly with a sense of urgency? Second question. When you give, this is about giving. Do you give to missions on a consistent basis? You define consistently however you want. Do you give to missions on a consistent basis when an offering is received or never? So again, that question is, do you give to missions on kind of a systematic, consistent basis? Do you wait until a missions offering is taken at the church or something like that, and then you give? Or do you just, you're not really currently a participant in missions giving? Do we just want to get that out there so we know where we're at? Now, when you do give, you probably have a default gift. I know my wife and I do. When we're sitting in church, there's a missionary or special speaker, and we, get to take, the, we uh, take the offering, and we'll look at one another, and we'll go, the usual? Or is God speaking to us about something more? But we generally have kind of a default gift that fits our budget or whatever. And so I would ask, what is that default gift when you give? Just kind of jot that down or make a note to yourself. The third area is in personal commitment. 
to witness? What a personal involvement do you have in witness? Are you personally witnessing to someone right now? Are you, have you built a relationship? Do you have relationships with people, people that ha- have yet to know Jesus? And are you communicating the good news in a, in a, in a personal way? Or are you engaged in a, some service to the community? Are you active in an outreach ministry of the church? So just kind of jot down there what your personal involvement is right now in regard to witness. Now in a minute, we're going to make a commitment. In one of those three areas, I believe the Lord is speaking to you today, every one of you. That the Lord is speaking to every one of us today about doing some, at least some little thing more in one of those three areas. It might be about praying. It might be about being personally involved. It might be about, about giving. But understand, as we evaluate, and we're going to make a commitment to God, that faith is required. And don't hesitate. Faith is the assurance, the Scripture tells us, of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So as followers of Christ, we understand about giving, for example. We do not give because we have extra money laying around. I don't have any money laying around. But yet God has asked me to give. We give. And as we give, God God does help us. And we grow in that area financially. And we grow in other areas because we step out in faith and we give. God may be speaking to you about mission praying. And you may say, you know, that's going to take more time. Yeah, it will. Certainly will. Or it may take some adjustment of your priorities. But remember, when we prioritize the kingdom, God is faithful to bring the other things in line. Prioritize the kingdom. Busyness and fear of rejection, quite frankly, also cause us to pass on opportunities for personal involvement. Someone here today is feeling that impulse to act, to do something. Maybe it's that grandchild, or maybe it's that neighbor, that co-worker, that the opportunity may be there for you to, to do a, have a personal witness with them. That's the Spirit prompting you right now. So make a commitment to God to follow through on that impulse. Well, how do I know that's from God? Well, who else would it be from? I'm certain the devil is not tempting you to witness. It's not your flesh. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. Act on that now. Now, some of you are saying, and, and, and you go, wait a second. I just came to church here today. I just kind of want to get out in time for the football game, you know? I didn't come to make commitments. Well, we'll get out here in a second. We're about ready, okay? Now, and, and, and it's cool. The Bears aren't playing until tomorrow. All right. So, um, yes, we're going to take just a moment. And I know that this is, this, I'm, a, I'm asking you to make a commitment today. Not because you're ready, but because the fields are. Because the harvest is ready. Because we live in this overlap of the age to come and this present age. And that is what God is calling us to do to be his witnesses, to be his city set on a hill. Because he has given to us this opportunity, this opportunity 
of all time. And we get to be a part of that. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. We're going to pray here. And I'm gonna, we're going to pray. We're going to have maybe just, a, I think the worship team's going to come. We're going to have a minute of awkward silence as you consider what God might be asking you to do. And then make a commitment. Just write that down on the other side of the card or wherever you want there. And tuck that in your prayer journal. And, and just see if God doesn't reinforce that to you. If he doesn't keep bringing that back to your mind. And don't hesitate on it. Act on that commitment. And be a part of his witness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take just a moment to make a commitment to you, pray that you'll let all the other stuff just kind of settle down and, and help us to hear your Holy Spirit today. God, what are you saying to us in this moment? To make a commitment. To step out, to do something we haven't done before, to do something a little more than we've been doing. Lord, speak to us if it's, a, if it's in the financial area. We want to obey you. Even in difficult times, we want to obey you and not be fearful. And God, in, in our busy life, we don't want to let other things crowd out the important things, the things of your kingdom. So, Lord, if you're asking me to step up my involvement in some way, Lord, I'll do that. Lord, if it's about praying more, maybe I haven't even thought of this before, that I can take a few minutes every day and I can just pray earnestly that God would send labors into the harvest field. I'll do that, God, if you're asking me to do that. So I'll make that commitment today. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us and thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be involved in what you are doing in this world as the kingdom of God is coming in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. Oh, thank you, God, for your grace, for your grace that brought us into this kingdom and day by day builds us and makes us like Jesus Christ and brings wholeness into our lives. We're truly, truly grateful for that. In Jesus' name, we make these commitments. Amen.